You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack had you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. Great stuff, as always, from Stefan Rossner of the Hockey News talking about the New York Islanders. And we go back out west now, all the way out west, to Andrew Knoll of the LA Daily News. He covers the Kings out there. And, man, the last time we saw the Kings here in Pittsburgh, they were absolutely blowing the doors off the Penguins at a point in time where we were trying to figure out what the Penguins were. And it felt like we never really figured out what the Penguins were, at least on the bottom six. We know they're the superstars and then figure it out from there. What what are the Kings? Because it feels like this is a team that's gotten away from the image and the personnel that helped drive those Stanley Cup titles a decade ago. And they're, they're very much in search of their own identity, other than Anji Kopitar uh, and a couple of the other vets that are still around, Dowdy as well. Um, it it, it feels like this is a team maybe in search of an identity. What happened to them in the first round, Andrew? Well, I, you know, as far as the identity question is concerned, I, I think they're starting to find their identity. They went through a systems transformation that was pretty drastic mm-hmm. um, once they settled on Todd McClellan in particular. I think the Sutter era kind of spilled over into the Stevens and Desjardins period, but Todd's put in a higher tempo, higher possession, uh, a little bit more active system. They just didn't have the personnel to really make it work. Uh, so now they are a lot stronger offensive team, a lot stronger team on the power play, uh, which for Kings fans is sort of a twilight zone moment. <laughs> They've been futile yeah. on the power play even during the the gold the golden era. So uh, yeah, that that that's starting to come around. Um, and then on the flip side, they haven't had a lot of stability in net. So that's maybe made them seem like they've they've made this radical transformation to an offensive team. Right. I think it, it's just they've got to kind of make that last step to becoming a more comprehensive team instead of being a, a two, one game like they were, you know, at their peak. And of course they still have Kopitar. They still have Dowdy. Uh, there's, there's still some links there. Um, but other than that, they didn't have a ton of experience. They didn't have a ton of, you know, man's bodies. And I do think that they, they got pushed around a little bit against Edmonton and, and some of the other big teams in the West. Yeah, second time in, a, in uh, or second year in a row, pardon me, to go out against the Oilers. I don't think there's any shame in going out to the Oilers with all the talent on that roster. But um, how how did they plan to stay with that team, and how did they fail to execute that plan? I guess in a first round, where again, there's no shame in going out to the Oilers, given the speed and the skill there. But how did they plan to slow it down, and then how did they fail to execute that? Yeah, I think you touched on something important that it was it really was a matchup type exit. I think they would have had a, a much better shot against really any of the other six qualifiers in the West. Mm-hmm. Um, but beyond that, it was something of an arms race. I mean, we saw the Kings go out and get Fiala, who was a huge addition in the offseason. Then they, you know, make the deal with Columbus, kind of 
check two boxes with one deal at the trade deadline. But Edmonton was pushing strongly too. I mean, they bring in Hyman and Kane last year. I mean, what perfect compliments to their big guns. Uh, Nugent Hopkins moves forward. Then at the deadline, they make, in my opinion, probably the best move that any team made, bringing Matias Ekholm, uh, you know, taking the, the totality of that circumstance uh, into account. And that they get bigger up front too. I mean, these guys, Costin and, uh, you know, the acquisition of Bugstad. So, um, you know, the Kings made a lot of strides to keep up with them. And then they made some more moves themselves. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that cat and mouse goes who has the cap space to keep making moves, who has the wherewithal to make the right ones. Uh, because I think the two teams are going to be chasing each other quite a bit in the Pacific division. What's the, what's the overall fan reaction to what they did at the deadline? Gavrikov, Corpusalo, you mentioned the Columbus deal. They're both unrestricted free agents now though. Um, yeah. Don't know if they have futures in LA or if they go out and test the market. Those are really the only big names that are uh, unrestricted. I think Alexander Edler may be a free agent as well. But uh, without much roster turnover forced by free agency this year, how do the fans feel about the moves that were made at the deadline and whether this is a team that can continue to compete going forward? Well, you know, fan sentiment is always a little bit of a tricky thing, but I would would say the pulse would be more so that People were satisfied with Gavrikov and what he brought to the table, definitely. He integrated himself really quickly. He had a strong series against Edmonton. And I think by and large, you know, people want him back, both inside the fan base and inside the locker room. Uh, Drew Doughty's talked about that. Matt Roy, a number of guys on the team. Uh, with Corpusalo, it, w- it was the best goalie available move. And as yeah. you know, a lot of times it's really hard to get a goalie at the deadline. I remember 2019, the Sharks were really looking for one and – they had to settle with what they had. I mean, there, there are years where no roster goalies move or something really cumbersome like the flurry trade. So that they were able to get somebody in there to give them another option was a good thing. We'll see about the future. Um, I think at this point they would like to bring him back because they don't really have another option. But if something comes along where maybe a guy is on an ELC or a bridge deal and he, they think he's a strong option for the future, that could happen. Uh, they do have Copley under contract for next season. Uh, but I think they would like to bring back both and uh, with, with Gavrikov probably being the higher priority. So if, if they look at their roster right now, Andrew, and they say, okay, we're happy with what we have. We don't have a ton of cap space, but we're, we're not looking at a ton of um, you know free agents leaving either. We'd like to prioritize Gavrikov if we could. Um, I, I think they're, you, you mentioned settling into what Todd McClellan wants them to do. Um, so if Robitaille, Blake, McClellan are all happy with what they have and they're they're going to push forward basically with what they had this year, um, what helps them make that next move or take that next leap? Or do they simply look at it, as you, you mentioned before, hey, it's a bad matchup. We got the Oilers in the first round. What do you want us to do? Um, anybody else, we're talking about a second round series. Do they look at it more that way or do they look at maybe – making some surgical maneuvers rather than anything wide swath. Well, they better have not look at it that way because there's a great chance they'll be facing Edmonton again and again and again. I mean, the divisional setup really puts them on a collision course. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't think that they're thinking, okay, how can we keep pace with Edmonton with every move? It's not that level of obsession, but they certainly can't think that, oh, well, we got a bad draw and we won't next time because it's very likely these teams continue squaring off. Right. Um, I, but on the flip side, I think they have a lot of built-in runway. If you look at it, this build has been very unconventional in the sense that you've got a couple ties to the older, the you know, veteran guys from the old teams, and then 
You've got a number of bridge players that they've brought in. But their top prospects really haven't made much of an impact yet. Quinton Byfield is starting to find his way. Arthur Kaliev has shown flashes. Uh, Alex Turcotte has missed considerable time to injury. Brant Clark is on the way. He had a hell of a season in junior and spent a little bit of time up with the Kings as well. Um, so these are the guys that they were trading up for, that they were picking at the top of the draft. Really only Gabe Velarde has started to materialize, and that was just this season. That's another thing they have to look at this offseason. He's an arbitration-eligible restricted free agent. So that's another thing that's probably going to prompt them to have to jettison a contract or two in order to accommodate the guys they want to bring back. Um, but, yeah, I think they're in a good position to continue improving without making any drastic moves. So all that being said, if it's if it should be a relatively quiet summer – in LA when we get to draft weekend uh, at the end yeah. of June and then free agency a couple days later, um, what should we keep an eye out for the Kings uh, and what they may do? What may be, if there's really very little to do, is it really just all about, like I said, the little surgical maneuvers of, Hey, let's do what we can to re-sign Gavrikov and kind of move forward from there because we like what we have. Number one thing they'll be looking at is their goalie situation in terms of both opportunities in the trade market and how to resolve the existing log jam that they would have if they brought in either another goalie or re-signed Corpus Allo. because Cal Peterson is sort of the elephant in the room right now, mm-hmm. $5 million cap hit spent the majority of the season in the minors and did not perform particularly well at that level. So they were on the hook for two more years. That could be a real impediment to them. You can't just stash these guys in the NHL. Like in the past, mm-hmm. I think he counted for over 4 million against the cap this season. So that's something that they've got to figure out both in terms of improving the quality of their goaltending and resolving that situation. The draft, you know, they've traded out of the first round this year and next. That has been, I think, a sign of progress for the organization before they were just mm-hmm. holding futures, really. Uh, and that was probably the prudent move. Now they're investing and, and tweaking the team. So, yeah, overall, I think you can see small moves. But in net, they've got a big question. And if there's an opportunity to answer it, get some resolution, they will definitely look to do that. Andrew, great stuff. We appreciate you taking a couple of minutes. It's been nice to spin around uh, absolutely everywhere, even though you guys, like I said, are all in the same boat now as Penguin fans. Our team's out of it. But uh, you're in Southern California, so you get to go outside and enjoy it. Uh, And uh, we appreciate you taking the time to do it. We'll catch up with you again once we uh, wind back around to the regular season. My pleasure. Thank you, Chris. Great stuff from Andrew Knoll of the LA Daily News on the Kings there. And we stay out west, but we go a whole heck of a lot farther north and bring it back this way just a little bit. Scott Billick of the Winnipeg Sun joins me to talk about what I think may be, of all the teams we've talked about so far, and we've gone Bruins, Avs, Rangers, Isles, Lightning, what all over the place, I think this is the most interesting situation of all eight teams eliminated in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. So thanks for making the time, Scott. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing good. Yeah, anytime. Yeah, and it, as north as it might be, it, it's pretty nice here today. <laughs> so I'm, 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 I'm not complaining. Yeah, it's it's getting to be that time of year where it gets warm even in, in Manitoba. So um, let me ask you this. Um, the reason the Jets are the most interesting situation of the eight teams eliminated in the first round, to me anyway, is because of the myriad of questions that exist around all of the important personnel. Rick Bonus uh, was very clear about how he felt about this team yeah. uh, down the stretch and at the end of that first round series. Uh, the leadership of this team, uh, the Wheelers, the Shifleys of the world, 
um, they were very clear that they were disappointed with themselves in some cases. Um, This could be with with the number of unrestricted free agents, at least in the bottom half of the roster, um, with bonuses situation, with so much up in the air, this could be really a summer of upheaval in Winnipeg. So let's start with this. Um, What failed them? Because there were times this year where they looked unstoppable, especially earlier in the year. Um, And then there were times down the stretch where it felt like they couldn't get anything right. Yeah, they failed themselves, to be honest with you. Like, I mean, that's what failed. They failed themselves. Like, if, if you look at the first half of this season, you'll find a team that was up to January 15th of this year, first place in the Western Conference, like right. above the Vegas Golden Knights. They had one of the best records in the league, obviously, at that point. I think at one point they were third in the NHL, maybe fourth around that area in terms of their, their overall record. And And they got there by playing a style of game that, uh, you know, some context here. The Winnipeg Jets for the last few years have played a, a very much a game where it's like, okay, hopefully we can catch lightning in a bottle for five minutes in a game, score three mm-hmm. goals, and walk away with a win, right? This year, Rick Bonus comes in and implements an actual system into this team that 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 is predicated on hard work, aggressive forecheck, um, you know, activation of the defense, which you know seemed like this was this foreign. Um, you know, concept before before he came in this year. Um, I mean, Rick Bonus turned Josh Norrissey or Josh Norrissey, uh, that's Freudian slip there, Josh Morrissey into a Nor- <laughs> Norris candidate, right? And and so, it, you know, that all that happened within the first half, you know, the first up to January 15th, let's say, right? You know, right, right around the end of the new year, and right around the beginning of the new year, and and so, you know, we we see. This team playing such a great brand of hockey. It, it's it's aggressive. It's heavy. It's it, it's it, it it's speedy. You know, and, and they're playing to a lot of different strengths. They're getting great goaltending from Connor Hellebuck as they always do. And then it just it just ceases to exist. You know, like they, they cease to play a winning style of hockey. And, and and that's the biggest question mark I think on this whole year is why did they quit playing that way? It showed them, it led them to a lot of wins. It led them to a lot of good feelings. It led them to, you know, a career years for a lot of these guys from Mark Shifley scoring 42, cracking the 40 goal mark for the first time. Josh Morrissey, obviously, I mentioned earlier, career highs across the board. All these guys, like, almost every guy in this team was either touching career highs in terms of, you know, like even like let's say top six guys, that's or, or middle six guys. A lot of defensemen were, were, were coming out. Dylan DeMello turned into a goal scorer at times like there, there was a lot of things that happened but they, they just stopped playing that brand of hockey and, and and it I don't know why and and a lot of people here don't understand why because it, it led them to wins and then when they went on and they lost 9 of 11 they completely got away from that game but part of that they'd gotten away from that game earlier than that and they were still winning games just on on, on talent alone um and Connor Hellebuck being as good as he can be at times and but then yeah and then it was just it was a struggle from that point on to find that game again they found it the last month three weeks of the season um they looked as good as they did before and then their analytics were great and then they hit the playoffs played a tremendous game one right like that yeah. game one against vegas was the exact blueprint that is how they played in the first half of the season and then they decided not to play that game again outside of the first period in game two Lee, you can call the pushback in game three to get it to overtime. 
whatever. Yeah, it, this, my point was they caught lightning in a bottle in that game, and that's the way that this team used to play. And so they fall back on these old habits and and stuff like that. And at the end of the day, you know, they get bounced in five games, and yeah, it leads us to where we are now. We're, we're going to be talking about. Guys like Mark Shifley, Connor Hellebuck, Blake Wheeler, Pierre-Luc Dubois, who may not even be here next year. And this team had something in that first half of the year, and, and they let it slip. So where, how do they reconcile all of this? Uh, a team, including the leadership group, who failed each other uh, yeah. down the stretch with a head coach who let them know that they were yeah. failing each other very clearly and now yeah. they're all supposed to walk back into the same room this fall yeah i mean it, it's an interesting thing because yeah i mean rick bonus came out after game five and everybody's seen it now 56 seconds i believe it was of yeah. pure being just he was pissed off right i mean he yeah. was mad i i think i think there was a lot of air let out there from that that had built up um i, I mean he said it and and you could see it during the last half of the season like Rick has never been a guy who has um, hit his emotions. I think, though, during the second half of the year when they were going, he had to uh, – coddle is an interesting word, but, you know, there was times where he had to um, more hold your hand than, than get, you know, be that angry – be the angry dad or the disappointed grandpa or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he wasn't – he couldn't do that because I don't think you were getting the response. He saw what happened after he, he benched Mark Shifley in Carolina – um, Mark Shifley didn't play very well for the next nine or 10 games. And, you know, that's a problem in and of itself. Um, and you could spend a long time on Mark Shifley and the way that he's played over the last few years. But, um, yeah, it, it's, it's just one of those things where I think he, I think he just, he let it out. And, you know, it was interesting because we get to the garbage bag day interviews on, on, on the Saturday, they got bounced on, on, on Thursday. They did the, Garbage bag days on on the the, the following Saturday, two days later, mm-hmm. and you know you sort of expect somebody to come in there and say, hey, you know, like yeah, we not might not have liked what Rick said, but that's not the problem here. The problem is it was us, you know, like we didn't right. perform at a, at a level. To a man, not one of them said it right, and and that mm. and that's that's a bigger problem, in my opinion, is that yeah, the, the accountability is not there, and it's just like they there was <laughs> the joke around here was there was more pushback in that garbage bag day interviews than there was in game five for sure. Um, you know, in a large part of the season. Right. And, and so, and it did, it created this weird thing. Rick bonus was not supposed to speak on Saturday. He came, they changed that at the last minute after he got you know, thrown under the bus by 14, 13 or 14 guys that day, he comes out and he kind of has to, and, and so he walked back the word disgusted. He'd rather not have had yeah. that one, but here's my problem. And you know, we've all been watching the playoffs. You watch what happened with Rod Brindamore after the Carolina after Game Three in Carolina, where they got mm-hmm. rolled eight four, and and Brindamore gets upset at the team. And what does Carolina do? They respond, right? They respond. Right. Come out in that game. After that game, uh, New Jersey head coach Lindy Ruff comes out and wrecks, or, you know, railroads his team too. And 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 then you have Nico Heischer come out, and I think Damon Severson came out too. And they're like, yeah, like that's unacceptable. And that's just something that you would like to see around here in Winnipeg. When Boston got bounced in the first round, I mean, that's a huge upset. And But Brad Marchand comes out and owns it, right? I mean, guys yeah. like that come out and own it. We didn't see that here in Winnipeg, and that's that's a big problem. 
So uh, where does it um, where does it go from here? If it's not a a breakup yeah. of the boys, right? Uh, if it's the same room coming back, the same group playing for bonus. Um, yeah. Un- unfortunately for the rest of the league, anyway. Um, fortunately for for Jets fans, that probably means Connor Hellebuck isn't going anywhere. Um, and, and it it gives them yeah. a, an opportunity to try and run it back under bonus one more time. But again, with that dynamic that exists now. Do some of the big names, some of the leadership pieces have to go out? And and can they necessarily pull that off this summer? Yeah, I mean, it's a huge, it's, it's a monumental task this offseason for Kevin Shoveldayoff, the general manager of the Jets here. Um, you know, I think they can shed a guy like Mark Shifley and, and Blake Wheeler and still be okay. Um, a part of that is I think, you know, that changes the culture and the leadership completely in this room, in this dressing room. Um, I, I think it opens the door for uh, a bunch of different guys to, to you know, I think Jets fans would hope would change mm-hmm. um, the culture from within uh, through, you know, th- throughout, of course, the next couple of years. But one thing that a lot of these guys said at the end of the year was they don't want to be here for a rebuild. And and I honestly, th- there's not really an appetite in this town for one. Uh, you know, I, I, yeah. ticket, season ticket sales have dwindled. Um, it's, it's been a big issue here. Um, you know, there, some nights this year, they're down 2,300, 2300 fans at times, you know, that that's not a good thing for the second smallest. And, you know, you can't really right. you know, mullet's the smallest, obviously in Arizona, not really an NHL rink. So for the smallest NHL size rink here, um, in the league, I mean, this is a team that needs it sold, sold out every night. And so, but you know, how do you sell? This is the thing. Like, if you're not going to trade Connor Hellbuck, you got to sign him to a sign him to an extension. Right. And I think I think the Jets would do that in a heartbeat. You're also going to make him the top paid goalie in the league, in my, in my opinion, because you know Andre Vasilevsky is making what he's making. I think Bob uh, Sergey Borovsky is also up in the ten million. But yeah. those guys are playing in in in, in tax free states um, that you don't get that affordability here in Manitoba. So. Um, you know, Connor Hellbuck's probably making north of 10 on some sort of extension. Um, and then you got Pierre-Luc Dubois. And I, I think, you know, if you could get Pierre-Luc Dubois to stay and, and commit to this city, I, I think you can get rid of Mark and Blake and you don't have to worry about it at really at all. You're going to lose the goal scoring, but the team is going to completely change under a different, you know, mm-hmm. I think Pierre-Luc Dubois would be in the, obviously in the running for a captaincy at that point. It would be a different team. Um, but yeah, it, it's interesting, and 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 the the problem is the vision. At least on the outside, we haven't seen it. Fans haven't seen the vision of this club. We don't really know what you know this team is kind of looking to do, where it's heading. And I understand part of with players and stuff like that. You, you know, you're not going to know right at the end of the year if you're re-signing guys or whatever. There's negotiations, all that stuff. But there's not a lot of hope in Winnipeg right now. And and yeah. and and Kevin Shoveldayoff, he spent 42 minutes on Sunday on the Sunday after the day after the player spoke and he answered one question in 42 minutes. And that was, would Rick bonus be back? And he, you know, after, you know, going on for a little bit, he finally said yes. And so it, that that's what fans have to go with this summer. And I think there is hope that this team does move out guys like Blake Wheeler and Mark Shifley because of some of the on ice stuff um, because Blake Wheeler and his cap hit and, 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 you know, father time is still undefeated. And, and Blake is, you know, he's getting up there. He'll be 37 next season. Um, and 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 the cap space that, that would open up if they were able to move at least half of his contract or buy him out, which would open up more. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, these are decisions because this team is very loyal. Um, you know, this is a team that still nominated Blake Wheeler for the King Clancy this year. I'm not sure this team wants to get rid of Blake Wheeler. And, you know, and, and you know, he's got one more year left on his contract, but there's a lot of loyalty to Blake Wheeler. He was the captain of the team. I understand that, you know, they, they stripped the captaincy from the beginning of the year, but at the same time, he was still the de facto leader in that room. And, and so, yeah, I, I wish I could tell you what was going to happen, but I just, I don't know because I think there's still a very much the possibility that they try and run this back just as much as there's wow. a possibility of them trying to, you know, retool on the fly. Um, and I think I don't think we're going to really know the answer to that until we get closer to the draft and see what, yeah. but not, you know, who, like, who are you trading Mark Shifley? Like, who are you trading Mark Shifley to? What are you getting back? Are you, are you getting back right. the center? Probably not, you know. Uh, Connor Hellbuck, what's he getting you in a return? I mean, it would be pretty good. But again, it's probably going to be some top caliber prospects and maybe a pick. I don't know if you're and, getting like a you know a top center right that what you need to replace potentially Mark Shifley and Perrick Dubois. So, and, and good luck yeah. making ca- the cap space work on all of these perspective exactly. deals for both sides as well. Yeah. Man, great stuff, yeah. Scott. Um, like I said, I think we saved the best for last because it's the most fascinating situation of the eight teams <laughs> sure is, uh, yeah. that were eliminated in the first round. I appreciate you making the time today. No, it's going to be something like you said. I think draft weekend will be the sort of hinge point in the in the summer and yeah. the off season for the Winnipeg Jets to see where it goes from here. But thanks again for making the time from up north. We appreciate it. And we'll catch up again once the regular season starts. Yeah, for sure. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. Great stuff from Scott Billick of the Winnipeg Sun. I, I'll say it again. The Jets are going to be fascinating to watch this offseason if you're a fan of the NHL. Even if you're just a Penguin-specific fan, Think of the different targets you may have in mind from that roster if the Jets decide, and it sounds like they're going to run it back, we're more likely to run it back, but if they decide to tear it down. And certainly, goaltender would be at the top of the list, although, again, cap space is the problem here. How on earth would the Penguins find the cap space to trade for a Connor Hellebuck and then re-sign a Connor Hellebuck? Maybe just a pipe dream. Maybe. Uh We will continue as the playoffs continue to talk to all of the teams that get eliminated or people who cover the teams anyway. And as the draft approaches towards the end of June, we'll talk to those lottery teams that are picking high. And of course, keep an eye on what the Penguins may be doing in their front office search as well. You know, all you got to do, subscribe inside your Odyssey app, A-U-D-A-C-Y, or wherever you get your podcasts, or go to YouTube, 93.7 The Fan on YouTube and subscribe there to get the latest videos because we do this as a video as well. Fifth Avenue Faceoff. Every single week, we'll keep the episodes coming to you so you get the latest content on both the playoffs and the Penguins offseason right here on Fifth Avenue Faceoff.